Welcome to the Story Forward Podcast. If you're looking for Story Forward Podcast, you've come to the right place. You have. You'll find us, your host. He is Christian Wynn. I am Larry Rosen. This is the opening episode of our third season, Stories from the World of Sports, and we have a little competition built within the stories. We're not going to be too cutthroat, but we are going to kind of declare end, a winner, give a nod. At, at least on some of the episodes. In keeping with the competitive nature of sports, though, a couple of our episodes involve sports that are anything but competitive. Like individual sports. sports. I think they're all pretty competitive. I don't really? know. In some way, at least with your, you're gonna make me cut that out. No, I think we keep it, but I keep doing it. Okay, we won't name names on the sports Larry thinks are not competitive. So, assuming you did not listen to our little preview we made, let me explain to you. There's been some changes in the story forward uh, strategy this year. Yeah, this season, rather than build the episodes around a long form interview, we are inviting people on to tell stories that relate to the theme of the episode. For this, our first episode, the theme is. Little League. Little League. And they're all baseball. It's not like it's yeah, League there wasn't football. any any soccer or Pop Warner or basketball. It was all baseball. Right um, now, yeah. And I don't know why. That, I, 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 you know, it's been, I've been reminded during the recording of all these stories that baseball is different. That people like to talk about baseball, even though it's not really as popular of a sport anymore as it was when we were kids. No, sadly. People still like to talk about baseball. Um, for our Little League episode, I really think we have got three fantastic stories. That each I, Three stories that don't have a lot in common. They're all very different. Absolutely. One, um, one is a story of triumph. One is a story that starts out as a story of redemption and ends up not a story of redemption. <laughs> yep. And one is uh, that Little League nightmare, the rowdy parent. It's a good mix right there. Our storytellers today... Uh, we are bringing back David Barbie, who you might remember from the music episode. Uh, what you, I don't remember how much we covered this in the music episode, but the only thing David Barbie loves as much as music is baseball. It's straight out of Athens, Georgia. Little League baseball. Yeah, he's he's deep. He is deep. He's been a league. He's been involved with the Athens Little League for twenty five, a long time, <laughs> a long time. And he's gonna. He's a fantastic storyteller, and he will tell a story of triumph. Uh, also familiar to anyone who's listened to this podcast, our second storyteller, Jonathan Evison, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, yeah. He is back to talk about his experience playing Little League, which he's... I know. It kind of saved his life in a lot of ways. He, he says, says it saved his life. It really, you know, there's a lot to his story. It definitely um, is, a, is a bit of a weeper and kind of just, you know, no BS is like Johnny Evison's stories are. There, I know that Larry... It's gone and done a great job with the editing, but there still might be a couple of <laughs> spots. Johnny was coming oh, our way from Squim, right, which is way up right. on the Olympic Peninsula. And so a couple of words get dropped here and there on his phone call. Yeah, but, a little uh, spotty coverage out there. But it's mostly darn good. Like yeah. I said, Rosen, I know you killed it oh, on yeah. this one. Yeah. Mr. Garage Band, that's me. Uh, our third storyteller is Brian Snyder, who uh, began his career wanting... He actually, Brian actually worked, was the guy working for the minor league baseball team after oh. he graduated college from Nevada, Reno. I know he'd be very upset if I didn't mention where he went to college because he loved it. Uh, he has since moved into other fields, but he is that fully American archetype, the Little League dad. He is going to come on to tell, he will tell the story as a Little League coach. He is in the middle of it right now. He's on the, he's on the cusp of the Little League dad to travel ball dad. Oh, 
but so he had an unfortunate experience with a rowdy parent this past season. As will happen. So here's how it's going to go. We will have, be introducing individually each storyteller. They will tell their story, and then we'll have a little tiny little Q&A afterwards uh, just to kind of anything Absolutely. that came up to us. Because we're there listening. You'll hear us chuckling as they tell their stories. Oh, definitely. And they will chime in here and there for yeah. sure. Um, so yeah. let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the first story. And we are going to start with Jonathan Evison's story of how Little League saved his life. Johnny, you're going to tell your story. Do you mind if we interject every now and then? Or do you want to just oh, roll? Oh, please do. Because okay. my story is just sort of, uh, probably just sort of a rambling of a, a picaresque of your a picaresque of the still means thing. to me okay like i mean honestly dude on my facebook list there's probably 20 guys i played little league with in my friends list guys i still talk to that's like fantastic. when i was nine years old that's pretty yeah cool. no it's amazing little league really basically kind of saved my life um and i'm really that's not not an exaggeration like uh you know nine-year-old johnny evison little ferret of a kid you know my my oldest sister at that point is my primary caregiver because my mom's got her hands full with five kids my dad is uh you know just not there i mean he's he's going to night school when he's not working swing shifts and and uh then my sister dies in a freak car accident uh when i was nine and and then uh, my family just sort of exploded, you know, and uh, my dad started having an affair with his boss as he was grieving. And he moved us up to Washington State, to Bainbridge Island. Like, I don't know why he picked an affluent community on an island for a working class family to dump us off. I don't know. Then he moves back to. And so now my mom's a single mom. Uh, my primary caregiver, my sister, is now dead. My mom's kind of going crazy, you know, rock, walking around in a bathtub, bathrobe with, you know, one of her tits trying to burn lampshades just fucking standing in the window just hating the rain you know fifth generation californian um but as luck would have it we moved next door to this family called the marshalls who were just kind of just really a family just really really nice they had two boys and a girl who was a total jock um but emmett marshall the dad and he died a few years back and i went to his funeral man they hit me because i realized how much that guy really saved my ass but uh, he was the president of Little League, so um, they immediately just sort of adopted me, started taking me camping, and, you know, uh, I'd be eating, the, you, you know, playing in their rec room all day long while my mom was at work, and just sort of adopted me as the kind of neighborhood problem child, and, and they got me signed up for Little League. I'd never played organized sports up to that point. You know, my dad had been a professional bodybuilder, but never played any organized sports uh, up until the age of 10, you know, when we moved up to Bainbridge Island. And so I got signed up for Little League, and uh, I immediately gravitated towards pitching. And I was not a big guy, but, man, I could wing it, man. I think it was just a mechanics thing. I had it for an arm, and uh, I was really accurate, uh, which all these years later still – still translates into my dart playing and things like that but i have really good hand-eye coordination and i could throw the ball hard and i played with this team with this this is i guess this is actually still my nine-year-old year and when you played they they would have a pitching machine for six innings on both sides and then one inning at the end of the game the seventh inning you would have a live pitcher hmm. and so i would pitch that one inning every game and i struck out every single batter <laughs> the entire season you know like 12 games so like 36 batters i mean kids were crying they didn't want to get in the box 
You know what I mean? They were just like stepping in and just closing their eyes. And, um, so then the next year, what's called majors on Bainbridge Island, it was a time where people were starting, Bainbridge Island was starting to get a little more populated. It's becoming a little more of a bedroom community for Seattle. And so the Little League, which had, had been formerly four teams, the major level, uh, expanded to six teams. And that was supposed to be for 11 and 12-year-olds, but since they were expanding it with two teams, the Tigers and the Long drafted a handful of 10-year-olds uh, for the first time, and I was one of those 10-year-olds. And uh, I was drafted by this guy, Max Wisner. He was uh, he used to play like some A-ball. He was an A-baller in the Detroit Tigers organization, which just made him, you know, just way bigger than life for all the kids, even though, you know, the guy was just playing A-ball. But he worked at the shipyards, and he worked doubles, and he was always gone, and his wife, Ann Wisner, really is the one who coached us. She was tough old, tough old broad, man. She was like, she'd, she'd be pitching us batting practice, knew everything, used to play, used to play competitive fast pitch softball on a team called the Floating Chicks. So she was the one tasked with kind of really being our coach as much as anybody. And uh, Dan Winner, who uh, who was, uh, he was just a poor kid. I mean, he, 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 he was a, he was a juvenile delinquent by the age of 11, you know what I mean? And he was completely uncoordinated and great athlete that his father had so badly yearned for. But, of course, since it's his kid, he was on our team. And the kid was a you know, gigantic kind of fuck up. I mean, sweethearted guy, but just, you know, he'd throw his glove at the ball in the middle of the game and stuff <laughs> like that. And he'd be so unruly during practice that his own mom would bean him, uh, you know. <laughs> So, and, you know, years later, I run into the guy, see him, you know, he's being escorted into a cop car at First and Pike, uh, probably not a first defense guy. Um, anyway, so for three years, our team, the Tigers, dominated it. We were a juggernaut. We won the, uh, and I was like the ace pitcher. All three years. Uh, um, we, before that, there was like the Dick Kuntz dynasty. There's this gold coach, Dick Kuntz, who had the, his team was the Seagulls, and uh, they'd, they'd win it like every year, you know. <laughs> and I remember my 10 year old year, I know hit Chip Rogers' vaunted Dodger squad. Um, so was it still uh, a one hitter, just one inning no hitter? Or this, are you, no, no, these were, were these were six or six seven eight. inning games. Oh, I don't okay. remember which six or seven inning games. It, and and so what happened is I played all stars every year, and um, I was a really good pitcher. But you know, everybody kind of caught up with me growth wise and speed. So I was no longer fireballer like I was when I was nine. By the time I was twelve, I was more of a, a pick your spots, change speeds, never turned it over, never never just through like a split seam, through a slider. But mostly I was about you know my you know just changing speeds, you know uh, hitting his timing pitching is upsetting timing so i was really good at picking my spots painting the corners keeping hitters off balance and uh i remember our 12 year old year i won like three games at regionals and then we went to the state championship uh in aberdeen and so this is 1980 and uh billy squires all over the radio this is the year, i think it's 1980 uh this is the year the stroke is just all over the radio and um so we go to aberdeen and like there's host families because it's a three-day tournament. So all the kids get split up to these host families. And um, 
most of the kids like half and half go to these people that this sort of affluent family that has a big downstairs rec room with a pool table and a pinball machine and they've got bunk beds down there and there's like six of them staying there with the other kids you know the kids of the family that play in the little league and uh everybody's in these great great situations and for whatever reason they decide that little johnny evison i guess because he's outgoing and they figure he can take care of himself they i stay with this family who's this like sort of morbidly obese poor family that lives on the wrong side of the tracks in aberdeen which is you know pretty grungy um in this little tiny you know shitty barracks of a house with this big fat kid andy skipper and yeah it was just you we'd go we'd practice during the day and i'd hear about oh yeah we were up you know making s'mores and you know playing in television and atari and i'm just i'm stuck at the skipper's house you know and uh so I, I i ended up winning i think the first game or two at state but like i had pitched so much this is all happening over about an eight or nine day period and so i had pitched like five games and i slept in a bunk bed on the bottom bunk with andy skipper uh and he left the window open and i woke up and i back like i was so stiff from the right hand oh. to my trapezius muscle to my shoulder i could not i literally we've all had it as old guys you know that mm-hmm. thing where you wake up and you you have to like turn at the hips in order to turn you can't move your neck and i was supposed to pitch that day and uh obviously i couldn't i mean i could barely i could barely lift my arm and and uh we were up nothing against i think it was uh god who was it not shoreline it was somebody centralia i think the team from centralia and we were up like six nothing in the first inning and, and this guy danny rapat is pitching because i can't pitch and, and danny Mize, two guys are literally just walking guys across I mean, it's just like six one, six two, six three, six four. They're not even hitting. I mean, these guys can't get it over the plate. They're walking in runs. And I said to my coach, Cliff Nordberg, who's, you know, first of all, you know, what are you doing coaching Little League when you don't have any kids? You know, what's wrong with you? Um, so Cliff Nordberg, I go, look, just put me in, man. I mean, I, even like this, like I'll do, I, I can get him to ground out. You know what I mean? Just let me, at least I can throw it over the plate. You know, we can win this thing. And that motherfucker looked at me and he said, you had your chance you psyched yourself out and it fucking ruined me dude i never played baseball again it helped that i'd found punk rock you know too so punk rock and baseball were already starting to you know is it gonna be baseball practice or band practice you know i was painting my cleats yellow and i mean you know i'm making my fashion statements so i was already (laughs) sort of uh you know on the fence between being a jock and being a punk rocker at that point but that was the final that was the final thing i never played again you know because that that asshole coach was like you had your chance you psyched yourself out this after i'd won like five games you know like single-handedly put the team on my shoulders and brought us to the state championship and he accused me of psyching myself out which just uh, it just wasn't the case you know you guys know me i love to compete i'm not afraid of anything and especially not losing and i mean i think that's the, the key to being a great competitor is that you know that. You can't be afraid of losing, you know. Well, I'm sort of, <laughs> and, uh, I'm sort of heartbroken by that story. I know, and you were 12 years old. Yeah, I was wow. 12 years old. And walked away from uh, the yeah, game. Yeah. 
I mean, the good news is... Yeah, I never played again. I mean, it just really soured me, as you can imagine. I'd yeah. done so good. You know, it was a blessing in disguise in a way. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to be a jock. I was already start, sort of, you know, I'd already found my sort of artsy side, and I was, you know, I was writing, and it just... Yeah. But that's what put me over the edge, you know, because, and that big too, you know, I was only like five, nine. So it was like, it wasn't like I was going to get it, even though I was really good, I wasn't going to get a division one college scholarship or anything, you know, I mean, I probably would have put, but you were no Larry Rosen like I, is what you're saying. Yeah. You're, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I just going to say the good news is that you didn't ruin your arm. Yeah. Cause if no, no. If you'd kept nope, going. I did that much later, uh, yeah. single-handedly pruning my cherry orchard uh, <laughs> with a pole pruner. I, I tore my rotator cuff, and I couldn't throw for like five years. It's finally back. But uh, You still beat me at darts last time I was up there. So. You know, I've still got the hand-eye. I just I can't – I don't have the velocity anymore. So, yeah, that's kind of my Little League story. I mean, it just – it kind of it kind of saved my life, but then it, it just – it had a sour end, and I never – Really, in fact, I never really played competitive sports again beyond, beyond like rec league basketball. But it's sort of, uh, you know, fuck Cliff Nordberg. What a jerk. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy yeah. that those like those seminal moments in our lives with adults saying something that they don't know they're actually saying to a kid, mm -hmm. you know. You know, he's just such a sore loser, right? Like he's this 45-year-old guy and he's so pissed off that these other team of 12-year-olds are beating his 12-year-olds that he's going to fuck your complex for the rest of my life i, I think you, <laughs> i think you set up you set a pretty high bar johnny i, I think really you good did story, actually. actually yeah <laughs> you've kept your competitive edge and yeah, as uh i don't know this the, the, the gunslinger hose as an arm he says yeah i don't know that was the hardest working man in literature ladies and gentlemen with his story about little league johnny evison thank you so much um thank you johnny Thanks for joining hey, us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun. Great. I know. Can't wait to see you guys in March. All right. All right. You Good take out. care up there. Onward. <clears throat> okay. Our next storyteller you listeners will be familiar with, David Barbie, has been on the podcast before uh, during the Stories from the World of Music, telling his own story, uh, which began uh, as a high school outcast and eventually grew to where he is the godfather of the Athens music scene. That's what I hear. Uh, record producer and now uh, musician, returned musician, as well, I'll let him uh, plug his own stuff after he tells his story. But today he's here to tell a story about Little League because as anyone who's interviewed David Barbie knows, the only thing that's as important to him as music is baseball and specifically Little League. Before you tell your story, David, <clears throat> give me a little bit, just a real quick recap of your career in Little League. My career in Little League is twofold. There's my playing career, and then there's my managerial career. And uh, my playing career was um, a nine-year-old 0-21 season. <laughs> no hits. Nice. A ten-year-old O and twenty-one season <laughs> hit the ball okay. Eleven-year-old um, team, pretty decent. Um, let's see, twenty-one game schedule. We were probably about twelve and nine, maybe uh, middle of the pack, but nobody was beating the the Bagley Park Mets that year. <laughs> and uh, they were so good; those guys still talk about it. And uh, 
then at 12, my team was 1-20. and 20. So three Ooh. of my four Little League seasons, I combined to go on a team that was combined 1-62, <laughs> which means if I came away from that experience loving baseball, I really love baseball. <laughs> my return to Little League was as the dad of children that were playing, and since I had multiple children playing, they stuck me as the coach, and I told them, I'm totally unqualified to do this. I don't know anything about coaching baseball. I love baseball, but then they convinced me to do it. And um, over the past 20, this will be year 23, that I've been involved in primarily managing teams and I've been a league president I've been an assistant district administrator I've been an umpire I've had all kinds of roles in little league but the great bulk of that time has been spent managing in the classic little league major leagues which is uh, little league is split up nine you know nine through 12 majors and minors and the majors are predominantly 11 and 12 year olds with a few really good younger kids although the younger kids general and also the younger kids that are like the younger siblings of the older kids because the parents don't want to drive the two practices totally <laughs> understandable but um so i've done i didn't manage little league when my kids were playing high school baseball because obviously i wanted to watch them do their thing and uh but yeah so i've been managing uh little league baseball for I mean, for all practical purposes, for 20 years or so. I um, manage the – in Athens, Georgia, where I live, the teams are not the Yankees or the Braves or the Red Sox. They are named after the local businesses that sponsor them. My studio, Chase Park Transaction, also sponsors um, a Little League team, and so I am the manager of Chase Park um, – which is the which my kids played for when they were kids, and and little and, league um, little league's a big deal in Athens because don't you do, or you maybe you don't do the show all the time, but there's a weekly update show, right? It's uh, during the season we have a five day a week Athens Little League report on <laughs> our local our local AM ESPN affiliate. <laughs> That's and, so um, awesome! It is the Athens Little League report, and what. Um, and the way this works is that, um, the, you know, the, the night, the games the night before, you the manager, the winning manager emails like a brief synopsis of the game and a few kids that deserve recognition. And then my day is Thursday, and I'm standing there in my kitchen drinking coffee, and then I call into the station, and you're riding to school in your car, and you hear your game your team, your name on the radio. And uh, at the end of, and they've all, we've all got something. Here's, it's five, the five people that do it are um, our, uh, you also know Tim Kelly, who owns mm -hmm. a board game store here in Athens. He does Mondays. Um, the Athens city manager, Blaine Williams, whose kids play Little League, he does Tuesdays. Um, the lovable Tyler Smith, who has a couple of kids that play, so popular at the park is he that our that there's a Tyler burger that you can buy at the concession <laughs> stand. Um, 
MLB.com baseball writer Will Leach does Fridays. Mm. His kid plays. We, Will is and a friend then, of the podcast. He is. Oh, great. Love him. Great guy. So Will does, uh, yeah, so Will does Fridays and I do Thursdays. And um, at the end of Will's, they ask him questions about, you know, Major League Baseball. And at the end of mine, they will, and they'll point out to the listeners, we're going to play a game with David. He has no idea of what we're going to say. We're going to say a name. This could be the name of a 70s baseball player. And without any warning, let's see what he can tell us. Mm. And so they would say something like, okay, Bernie Carbo. And, of course, I love Bernie Carbo. And I could go into some length about Bernie Carbo and the fact that I have a uh, personally autographed picture from Bernie Carbo dedicated to me, reminding me how much he loves the Lord, too. And... Um, <laughs> It's, uh, I was recording a band, and the girlfriend of the guy in the band is the niece of Bernie Carbo. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. There you go. So, and then, yeah. And he can you style it. your hair as well. <laughs> this is I true. I love that so much. <laughs> All so, right. yeah, that's my, that's my relationship with Little League. Little, little League pretty legend. intricate. Oh, you're deep. All right, deep so state. you got a Little League story for us. So the first the, – the, I guess it was the second year that I was managing Little League – my older son, Winston, uh, was 10, and he was going to move up to – there's pretty obvious that this year in the tryouts, he was going to move up to the majors level. And my younger son, Henry, who was what we'll refer to as a league age nine, he had to play as a nine-year-old even though he was only eight just because of when his birthday was. But I, he was going to stay in the minors, and I was going to coach his team, but – the woman that was the president of the league convinced me to manage the majors team and the other managers of the team said, you know, your kids are both good baseball players. And like that, even the, even the little guy, he said, you should probably just do this and move him up this year because they can, he can play and they'll have fun. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do this. So I took over this team and um, the team had won the championship the year before with a bunch of, 12-year-olds who, of course, had all aged out, and then the former manager of the team had moved, and his younger son, you know, obviously didn't come back either. So I had largely a brand-new team, and um, we struggled, to say the least. So we were probably – let's see, we were going to play an 18-game schedule that year. So going into the last game of the season – we were four and 13. Um, there was one team that had, that I guess we should go back a day. The last weekend of the season, we had to play like three days in a row for rain makeups. One of our games was against lowly Hawthorne drug, who was <laughs> O and 16. And then they beat us. And so I told my team after the game, tomorrow we're playing triple a triple a auto sales was 17 and O and, <laughs> had a couple of adults involved with their team who exhibited less than ideal behavior <laughs> for a little league team. Basically, they're undefeated, and everybody hated them. And uh, so, although the manager himself, great guy, good baseball guy, but he was aware that he had some adults on his team that did not win them many fans outside of their team. So I told them, my kids, if you play tomorrow like we played today, Triple A will score 40 runs on you. Like, their coaches won't pull up. 
we've got to we got to make the plays. So we go into this game, and in the last inning of the game, predictably they're undefeated and they're beating us um, by about eight or nine runs, and we are up in the top of the sixth inning, the last inning of a little league game, and. I jokingly told one of their coaches when we were exchanging uh, lineup changes between innings, I was like, well, where's this guy batting in your lineup? And he said, well, you know, we're probably not going to hit again. I was like, yeah, you're probably not. I mean, it's pretty unlikely we're going <laughs> to score nine runs on you in the last inning. Um, but, you know, we scored eight in an inning against Mexicali a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we're laughing about it. So it is uh, – Walk, walk, hit, hit, walk, walk, hit. You know, and so we start getting guys on, and the game is getting a little tighter and a little tighter and a little tighter. And so I realized it is now like it's a it's a three run game, and we got the bases loaded and the top of the order up, and the word has spread around the park. <laughs> Chase Park is coming back on AAA. And so the kids from all the other teams and their parents are now all around the fences, right? Both sides, they're crowded around watching this game, which makes it more fun because suddenly instead of like 10 parents in the stands, including, you know, 12 kids per team plus all their parents, there's now like about 200 people watching this little league game. Now, given my music career, it did occur to me as I was out there bouncing around at third base because even if we lose, we've made an amazing effort and we've really made these guys sweat. But I was also aware of every person in this park. There's only one human being who has ever had a job that had him standing with hundreds and thousands, tens of thousands, sometimes people looking in my direction and screaming. (laughs) So it's like, I'm like Br'er Rabbit in the Briar Patch. This is fine. <laughs> I'm totally at home. The other side, they are getting a little tight. Their parents in the stands, not moving, not saying. The kids are getting a little snippy because things aren't going well. So um, uh, Justin Pruitt came up to hit and uh, hits a ball that for a split second I thought was going to go out of the park, but it bounced off the top of the fence back in it's a triple and we're tied and in this moment i knew we got them, that it's like they're tightening up and we got nothing to lose so um we keep on rolling along here and we pick up a few more runs we take the lead and at the end of the inning we have a 15 to 11 lead And I should mention that because of Little League rules designed to protect kids, you can't just pitch a kid day after day after day. Mm -hmm. So I had burned all of my older kids pitching in the previous games. So uh, one 10-year-old kid, uh, Jace Winford, who later pitched for the University of Georgia, pitched the innings one and two. Uh, My son, Winston, who's also 10, pitched innings three and four, and then – Taylor Lane, who was also 10, came in and he pitched the last, he had pitched the fifth, and we go into the sixth, and it's like, Taylor, you got this. So we, um, so we've got these, so we're in the field, and we 
get a couple of outs, and then they start getting some guys on base. And they got two guys on base, and Porter Young, who was as big as most of the dads in the league, came up to hit. <laughs> and we got runner, and there's a wild pitch, runners on second and third. And my assistant manager, Casey Hogan, brother of the uh, uh, soulful ingenue Kelly Hogan, his <laughs> Casey is in the dugout with me, and he's like, hey, coach, you want to walk him? And you want to put him on? And I am a long-time opponent of the intentional walk. Yeah. Mm. I don't like it. I would sooner make an intentional out or make an intentional error. Learn I try, My philosophy about that with kids is don't teach them to duck. Teach them to punch. <laughs> so we um, – so I um, have – got to take a quick tangent here to tell you something that had happened a couple of games earlier <laughs> that there's a kid on my team Seth who was a bit of have a bit of a sour attitude about things and he had dropped an f-bomb in the dugout a couple of, <laughs> like a couple of games earlier and I took after the game I talked to him about it and his mom is there and he's like I didn't say that I said freak it and his mom said, well, I don't, I don't like that either. And I was like, that's not what he said. And I told him, it's like, Seth, if you ever say that, you're 12 years old, you're a leader, these younger kids on the team, if you ever say something like that in front of the other kids again, you're going to have to turn in your uniform, and you will never play Little League Baseball again. This is the last threat for me, is mm -hmm. you have to turn in your uniform. This is like a very, like, you know, a very antiquated phrase you'll have to turn in your uniform but so <laughs> seth is properly chastened so we're in the dugout coach casey looks at me and says hey coach you want to put him on and without thinking where i was because i was so intensely in the moment trying to lock down this improbable win <laughs> I, I just looked at him at the dugout and said fuck no i ain't <laughs> 12 year old kid he's not barry bond it's his dream season it's going down the toilet get him out if he hits a ball off the fucking light post we're still up by a run and i saw seth gate mouthed staring at me across the dugout and i just looked at him and said seth starting right now we're even <laughs> so porter did hit the ball hard he hit it high in the air and nine-year-old tyler brannon runs underneath it and to end the game he's right under it he's got it in his glove and then he trips twists his ankle drops the ball inside the park oh. and it's one run game now and uh one of the uh georgia's athletic trainers is at the game this kid was playing and he runs out and they like treat tyler's ankle and then you know he limps you know back to position and is sniffling and so uh we got to come out of the game. We get somebody else in there. And so um, two more walks. <laughs> and they got the winning run on base. And one of the coach's kids came up, hit a ground ball back to Taylor. Taylor tosses the ball to Winston at first base. And what happened then is the point of the whole story. All <laughs> of the kids on the other teams wearing their uniforms ran onto the field and it wasn't that they were so much cheering for chase park they just wanted the bad guys to lose. <laughs> and 
there were adults hugging each other, a <laughs> coach of another team I'd never actually spoken to before ran onto the field and picked me up in a pair. <laughs> and there's like all these different colored uniforms running around on the field as uh, Chase Park triumphantly beat AAA to uh, ruin their perfect season. <laughs> and the way it happened, the comeback, and I'll tell you, I was uh, – I mean, as it, it, it was right after that, you know, it's like we talked about it a lot, but um, to the point that, like, with my kids, it would be kind of a joke about, oh yeah, time to talk about LAAA stories. <laughs> but um, I was in Lowe's earlier this year, and I saw a guy that I hadn't seen in years. His kid played little league when mine did, and he works at he's got the retirement job working at Lowe's, and he said to me. You know, boy, I'll never forget that triple-A game. He said, hey, would you tell Jim here about that? And so every now and again in Athens, it comes up is this amazing story. So there you go. That, that is a twisting tale about a glorious victory in Little League Baseball. That is fantastic. That is amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I know you got to get out of here, but I, I wanted to say, you know, so far when we've talked to people about playing sports and, and Little League uh -huh. in particular mm – -hmm. A lot of them have mentioned how a moment like that will stick with them for the rest of their life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it absolutely does. I mean, like there are um, – I was at the Georgia-Auburn game a few weeks ago, and I ran into this guy, Mike DeVore, who coached when my kids were playing. And I hadn't seen him in ages, and um, I asked him, I was like, how's Russ, his son? He goes, oh, man, Russ is here. He's And so Russ uh, comes over, and he's got a baby, and I'm like, oh, you must be a league age 32 now. And he started laughing. He goes, yes, I am 32. I can't believe you remember that. I was like, well, you were 12 in 2003. How can we forget the, the 2003 city championship game, Hawthorne Drugs and Chase Park? And he's like, oh, I'd like to forget it. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to. And so – but I told him, it's like, you know, Russ, there's, you should know this, that like there's a technique that you used to use as a catcher that I still teach my players on my team today, and I learned that from watching you play. Yeah, so I'm not into this at all, really. No, no not, at all. <laughs> not at all. Oh, man. Okay, I do know you had a hard out at 530. But yeah, there, when I left my house earlier today, there was um, a what appeared to be uh, some beef short ribs in a slow cooker in my kitchen. <laughs> and I probably need to go home and make sure those are correctly prepared for me. Well, but before you do, um, why don't you give your, your band a plug? Yeah. Well, I have so many of them. Uh, no, the one that I, you're performing in. But I have like a bunch of them I'm playing oh. in now. So right now, I have approximately five things I'm playing with. My own self-named David Barbie, which I play with any number of other people. <laughs> um, Mercyland, my old days punk rock band that has come back and is playing some shows. And released an album. And released an album, nice. yep. Uh, please stream it so that we can get .03 cents. <laughs> um, I have also been playing bass with Kevin Kenny. I'm about to play mm. some shows playing bass with Blood Ken. And, mm. uh, oh, and then my other, 
aggregation, the quick hooks, which I rarely play with because they all are like touring musicians. But I think I ran into one of those guys last night. I think we're going to play. So, yeah. I'm 59 years old. My life is spent with Little League Baseball, rock and roll, and water skiing. <laughs> and, and, and don't forget fake baseball, which we play. Yeah. And fake ba- and yeah, and the other pretend baseball, yes. automatic, of which I've now retired to just be the commissioner. Okay. Uh, commissioner Barbie, David Barbie, jack of all trades. Uh, thank you so much for that. was a really awesome Little League that story. That was amazing. And, and a well-told story. You might have to add a storyteller and maybe writer someday to your, uh, your quiver of things you I do. I think you should for sure. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on, David. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I, uh, I'm i sure you'll get plenty of excellent stories. Yeah, yeah, we have we have gotten a few good ones so far. But anyhow, I know there's uh, there's some sort of meat waiting for you back home. <laughs> some so. meat, yes. And I'll, yes. I'll root for uh, the Bulldogs for you too. Oh, jeez. Man, please do. <laughs> it's like as a Lifer Dogs fan, I am appropriately paranoid about mississippi state <laughs> okay <laughs> we'll keep an eye on that's tomorrow yeah you no. think i'm kidding but like i'm not no as i know a, you're as not a, as, <laughs> as a dogs fan it's just like yeah you're always you're always are you're you're emotionally braced for the very worst thing possible <laughs> okay well this was not the very worst thing possible this was yeah, awesome this is action-packed this was <laughs> all right david we'll talk to you later all right okay see you later bye bye, bye chris all right, our next reader comes to us from the front lines of Suburban Little League. Brian Snyder, who is loath to admit it, at one time did work for a minor league baseball team, but has since then uh, moved away from the world of sports professionally. However, in his free time, the world of sports envelops him. And no more so than the case of Little League. All three, of, he has three children, 11, 8, and 7? Six. Six. Actually. All three involved in Little League. The oldest, I think, on the cusp of the dreaded travel league. Oh yeah, that's when it gets he's hairy. More than on the cusp, he's uh, he's been into it now. We just finished our second Ooh. season. And yes, we are we're we're elbow deep into that world. Yeah. <laughs> but not only a little league dad, but also a little league coach. So my friend Brian Snyder is going to tell us a story about the seamy underside of little league. <laughs> yes, I'm happy to do it, and and thanks for having me on, guys. Um, this story, uh, I was trying to make sure I had all the facts right to, and, and the, the pieces in a row right because there's so many layers to it but it, it's got all the, the makings of a modern play other than the romantic part uh, it's got <laughs> uh, cyber bullying it's got physical threats it's got stalking it's got police involvement uh, parental <laughs> oh, strife among families uh, it's got it all all for a volunteer suburban little league coaching job so um, with that set up I'll, I'll kind of go through it um, yeah so I'm Little League dad, uh, probably, uh, like I said, three kids, and uh, they all love to play. I have two boys and a little girl, and this story involves my middle child's team. He is uh, eight years old, and they were playing this last spring in the minors. Uh, for those of you that know that term, uh, the minors in Little League means when the kids are pitching to each other, um, so it's, it's the step up to kind of a more competitive level. They keep score, they keep standings, there's playoffs, there's championships, etc. So... Uh, I managed his team and I drafted his team and that's all the stuff you do in these little league worlds and you, know, you put the stuff together. And I had uh, two assistant coach spots. That's how it works. One was filled in advance of the season by my buddy, Chris, and one was open. And I had two parents that raised their hand and said, Hey, I'd love to help out. So the way to handle that, of course, is just you know to interview them 
both just kind of get a feel who wants what and who's, you know, who can help out. And, and the guy that I end up go with, uh, well, let's say his name is Sam. Uh, Sam, he's not much of a baseball guy from a technical perspective. And that's what he told me. He's like, look, I just want to help out. Uh, he did help out coaching in what they call fall ball the previous year. But he's like, look, I just want to be around and help out. Great. Sounds good. Everybody wins. You, you know, positive attitude. Let's go. So we're off and running. Get our practices going. And we actually get our season off the ground. And um, a, lot of, a lot of little guys are trying to figure out how, how to hit pitches for the first time. We won our first two games, which was really great. And the kids are in a good mood and things are great. And I wake up Sunday morning, as we all do, grab my phone, kind of check in the news and sports of the day and I check my email and there's this long nasty missive of an email from Sam's wife and she who I've never met by the way uh, and that's important in the story uh, she proceeds to tell me that I'm quote ruining baseball for all the kids and so, <laughs> oh, no. we're, we're two games into the season um, and I never like I said never met her and because and her issue was with the way I was substituting players and the way that I was telling our guys to score runs to try to win the game, because if they scored too many runs, it would, we would, there's a, there's a limit rule on how many runs you could score and then the game's over. So because I was telling our guys to score, some of our guys wouldn't be able to hit the next inning. And that was my fault. So it was an issue of, you know, not understanding where we were and not communicating as an adult, she just wanted to send this long email and told me that she was a teacher and she knows about child development and that I did not. <laughs> so, so that's how we started. And you all understand that it's Sam's wife. So Sam is on staff. And she said that, well, my husband has these concerns as well. So I write back and I say something effective. You know, it's early. Uh, we're, we're still building them up. But, you know, we're trying to keep kids safe. But you know, give us a chance. We'll get there. Just, you know, we're, we're almost there which she did not like that response, but I said, okay. And I text Sam separately. I said, Hey, we, we need to chat. That's obviously not, not great that we're getting this. So him and I had a little chat the next day before practice. And I said, look, Hey, you know, don't worry, man. But if you're on staff and you got an issue, let, bring it up. Let's discuss. Like, it's, but I, I can't be getting these emails from your yeah. wife. Like, come on, we're all in this together. And his exact words back were, were, well, my, my wife is my protector. And she can say whatever she wants. She's her own woman. And I said, well, I'm not disputing those points, but that's not what we're talking about. There's, we're talking about how to best proceed together as communicators and, and coaches and leaders for this team. And so his issue was around, it was kind of the same thing, some of the same things she said. He goes, well, look, I don't know if there's any difference between our best player and our worst player. Now, what I'm trying to tell them is there's kids who literally can't catch a baseball yet who are going to get hurt. <laughs> and he doesn't want to hear that because there's just – it's just where they are. Some kids are farther in their development. It's, nothing, it's not a knock on anybody. It's two games into a 20-game season. And he goes, well, which kids? And I knew what he was going for, and I mentioned kid one, and I mentioned kid number two, and I mentioned his kid as number three because it was true. Hmm. And we disagreed, but we left it with, look, Let's shake hands, and we did. We said, look, let's just not do this again. If there's ever an issue, let's just let's work on it together. You know, let's move on from it. Okay, fine. And from there, you could tell there was a lack of trust in both ways. I mean, we we tried to make it work. We certainly did. I mean, he was still at practice. Everybody's going. We're going along the season. 
Um, it's clear that Sam doesn't know what he's doing. He, you know, just he couldn't throw the ball very well. He, he doesn't know how to communicate as well with kids. But he's also a really nice guy. He's great with kids' personality. So I'll give him that credit. Um, my assistant, other assistant coach, Chris, and I are working around his limitations. But look, it's Little League. And so whatever. No big deal. He's your dad. We'll figure it out. And we move along the season. And about six weeks later, so we're, you know, probably three-quarters away, two-thirds away through the season. I'm out of town, and I, I leave Chris as manager. So Sam... Uh, is now kind of going to have to do a little bit more while I'm gone. And I'm out Saturday night, and I'm out with my friends on a, on a personal trip. And, I, and again, I'm out of town, and I get this bomb text from him. You guys are at it again. What the fuck? You're screwing me. <laughs> what? And he sends me this, like, you know, 12-text bomb with photos of the lineup and that his kid was sitting for two innings out of six, which, by the way, every kid sat at least one inning, and mm -hmm. most of the kids sat two. So I said, look, I can't do this right now. I'm out of town. Talk to Chris, or let's talk when I get back. But at this point, this has been stewing for a while, and I've kept the league president and the league player agent in on the loop of this. And they're like, if this ever happens again, going back to six weeks ago, it, it's going to be trouble for him. We, we shouldn't do this. So they all agree it's time to move on. Let's, let's just This isn't a good fit, you and him. Let's just move on. So I arranged to meet Sam and – I have the other assistant, Coach Chris, and also the league player agent who kind of acts as the liaison for everybody, all there to have a meeting and basically try to tell them, look, this isn't working. Like, we're not getting along. Let's just not do this. And he starts off, you guys suck to work with. This is terrible. My son and the other kids should play more, blah, blah. And all I say to him, this is the key point. I said, I said Sam, your, your son was in minors last year. This was his second year in minors. He got substituted in last year just like everybody else. I asked his last year's coach, you should know how this works. And when I said his kid's name, I said he got he, his kid's name got substituted. That's where he lost it. He starts screaming at me, don't fucking talk about my family. Fuck you. Scream, going nuts. This is all on the field before practice. So we have like one, maybe two kids banging around in the back. And, and so the hmm. other assistant coach grabs and pulls him back. And he's like gesticulating and going crazy and, you fucking guys, you know, go fuck yourself. Da, da, da. I'm like, whoa. So at this point, this has been six weeks of tension. So I've had it. I've tried to be nice. I try to say, look, this is what's going on. So I said, well, you know what? Let's finish this. I put my hands in my pockets. And he's still going. And I walk right up to him. And I go nose to nose right next to him. And I very calmly say, get the fuck off the field. Nice. <laughs> He goes nuts again because I was wanted to see what he'd do. I had two witnesses there, and I knew he was completely out of line. He said, you know what? Fuck you, Brian. I'll fight you anytime. You're a bully. I'm used to bullies. Whatever you want. So, you know, he's, so he's lost it. So they're literally <laughs> dragging him off the field to the parking lot, and I'm just walking around with my hands in my pocket. So, so after all this, he's now he's done from the coaching staff. Kid doesn't pull out. Kid's still with us. So the kid who's clearly uncomfortable now, which obviously sucks because I felt bad for the kid, and I'm trying to treat him the same as I would any other kid, but he's still on our team. We've still got five or six weeks to go. So you think that might maybe that'll like, – let's just go our separate ways. No, no, no. And he says a note to all the parents saying he's no longer coaching, that you know, he proceeds to badmouth me in the email. He hangs out at our practices. This guy, by the way, is 6'3", about a buck 95, 200 pounds – Maybe actually probably a higher, more weight than that. And he's he's ex-military. So he's a big, tall guy. 
big, big, you know, athletic guy. Um, he's standing behind home plate when we're throwing batting practice. Oh he's jo- doing he's doing uh, laps jogging around the outside of the field while we're having practice. He's coming to games and chatting up with parents, which he's his right. I mean, he's a parent too, but he, you know, he's making efforts to try to intimidate, which made me laugh. But then it got ugly. So then he goes to the little league board asking that I be fired. Doesn't say why. Just says whatever. Continues to badmouth me to parents. I don't say anything. And then it really got dark. Where it really turned was all of a sudden I'm getting texts one morning. Snyder, did you see this? No. On two different social media sites, out of the blue, I think at 2 o'clock in the morning, he proceeded to write a long story about how much he was mad at me and about mad at, me, at the Little League that we're in. And he was, quote, ready to fight me anytime, anywhere. <sighs> Oh, man. So now he's making threats to me in public. Well, you can imagine how my family, in particular my wife, felt about this. Very, <laughs> oh. very large man. Very likely has some level of PTSD. At least that's what it feels like. Everyone's freaking out. So what do I do? So I go to the little league president, who's been with me the whole time, and we both agree. Let's go to the police. Go down yeah. to the police station local. File a police report. Yeah. Once that happens, the little league... Uh, bans him from the field indefinitely. The the district, which is the larger area, they also ban him, and they're they're just saying hey, that's enough. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's then it becomes the apology slash what was me tour. Um, he apologizes apologizes to everybody on social media except me. Um, but simultaneously, he's appealing the banning decision um, and emailing. Little League of My City, Little League of the District, Little League of the State, and yes, Little League International multiple times all the way up to the top of the top all for this one issue and it just you could tell i mean it was just so bad and so tense and you know at this point we, we had another parent help out the rest of the year and this his, his son's on the team and we you know we finished out the year as best we can but it was a very awkward year for all parents involved mm-hmm. and then you know as it ends it, and it hasn't really ended but i mean i'll tell you then it got just strange and weird after it got dark um he's he starts kind of cyber stalking me and then stalking me. Like he sent me a text photo of my car in our school oh parking lot because our kids go to the same school saying, Hey, um, you almost hit me in the school parking lot today. You better be careful. Oh man. Whoa. And there's my, and there's my car with my license plate and it's right behind him or right in front of him. Rather. A few days later, I don't know exactly when he sends me a photo again unsolicited of my car of, of the front of my car, the windshield with some money underneath the windshield wiper. That's clearly in front of my house says, Oh, Hey, this is for the, for the shirt that you bought me that I didn't get to finish wearing the whole season. Well, I bought those shirts for the coaches to be able to, you know, so we all could look the same. I didn't ask him for the money back, but clearly I never gave him my home address. So clearly he went out and found me. So now he's coming to my house and so I'm reporting all this to the right people and clearly, you know, nobody wants to anything to do with this guy because he's lost his mind. And then the sympathy campaign for him goes into full swing. He starts soliciting character witnesses on his behalf. And, and I was included along with the little league city, regional, national, international, whoever, I don't know who was on. It was a huge text thread or an email thread rather of at least probably 20 emails of, I'm a character witness for Sam and Sam's a great guy. Well, this wasn't a character question. 
Nobody's got, nobody's questioning his character. It's the, the idea that maybe you don't go out and threaten people on social media Jeez. about hmm. the fact that you know you wanted your kid to play a little bit more third base, which he couldn't because he wasn't frankly ready for it at least early in the season. And so, I would tell you, I, I wish I could give you a natural and hard conclusion, but uh, where we've landed is that's the end for now. But um, alas, apparently it's it's not even all the way done, and he's still banging around trying to work his way back into Little League. And, and this is what happens when you're in suburban Little League and parents oh get goodness. upset because their kids aren't playing enough. Wow. Yeah. I had heard that story up to the part where you had the on-the-field meeting. I hadn't heard all the stuff that came afterward. That's pretty brutal. That's some crazy stuff. Yeah. Right it, it was it, – what the worst part, guys, is, you know, I mean, we all have our faults when we're trying to coach. I'm sure there's days I could be nicer or, or less nice or whatever you want to say, but – you're talking about coaching eight-year-old boys and yeah, girls, that... and you're you're trying to do right by them, and, and you, it's not you know we're not out here winning the World Series, but we are trying to let them teach them how to win a game, lose a game, play play the game correctly, and, and develop up. And for it to go this way really put a sour note on. This was the first year I coached my eight-year-old, mm. and it and it really put a sting in it, and not not just for me, but for the other coach, for the other parents. Uh, it, it clouded everything, and, it, kid, and it's unfortunate yeah. this person took it that way. I'm yeah. curious if the, 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 was, if the kids kind of understood any of this. I'm sure you guys tried to keep it out of the any conversation or, you know. But, man, that would be weird if you're eight years old and that kind of stuff's happening right in front of you. It's, it's a great point. We certainly didn't address it in terms of the depth. I mean, we had to address that Coach Sam was no longer on the right, right. coaching staff because we couldn't just – you know, pretend he wasn't there anymore. Um, and we had replaced him with another parent. Um, we just said that this is our new coach and, and he'll be working with the rest of the year. And any questions come talk to us. And um, we did that. And a couple kids asked some questions, but it's, you know, it's delicate and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And we know that, you know, Sam, I'm sure had his allies, uh, you know, either among the parents or, or around town. So, you know, I, we just want to say, look, this is where we are, but it, it was it was delicate and particularly with my young son yeah I, I, he was obviously closer to it in some ways than others because he could hear what my wife and i would talk about right. rather yeah yeah he probably knew more than and, everybody else and so we had to talk to him about being delicate in a social setting about things like that so it was a learning experience that's for darn sure you know this is a world i live in i, I coach my son yeah. travel baseball you mentioned earlier my younger son the, the eight-year-old is actually starting to get into lower level travel ball my daughter just started just finished her first year at t-ball this is something that's very important in our family i don't want this to color at all and right. it, it and the you know there's other parts to this i was up for an assistant coach job on the city district all-star teams and there was real debate about whether i could join because mm. I, I because this accusation from this guy was out and about on it even though i as far as i can tell had done nothing wrong mm-hmm. i yeah. followed all the rules for substitutions i followed the rules for communications and and tried to be clear and there was real debate about it so it mm. it had a lot of i mean it you know it's one of those things i mean you throw mud people get messy yeah yeah well, Brian, thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. And all I know is next time I see you, I'm going to ask your wife for her side of this story because I'll bet it's awesome. <laughs> that would <laughs> you be can keep me posted, much Larry. more interesting and colorful, I'm sure. Well, thank you guys for letting yeah, me Yeah, thanks story. so much. Thanks. Right. Appreciate um, being part of it. Be safe out there. Jeez. Man. I will. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. 
those stories, huh? Those are yeah. What? That's a good way to start the season. My Very friend. evocative of yeah. our days in Little League. It uh, brought back memories for me for sure. If you want to chime in, where do they do that, Larry? They can go to Facebook and argue with each other on our Facebook page group page. They can go to Twitter or Instagram. Go to the posts for each of these uh, st- these episodes and just add your story opinion. Dot story dot forward. Now we can thank people besides my dad. Yes. Um, we want to thank Brett Battistain's dad because he gave us Brett Battistain. <laughs> <laughs> he helped at least. He was, you know, yeah, he was part of part that. of the equation. Um, but Brett Battistain heads up yeah, Ease Drop Studios at EASE drop.com where you can find this podcast um, and a, a handful of others that he helps produce and edit. Um, and also our we're out there on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, mm, all that Stitcher. Stuff. Special thanks to Brett for lending us all this equipment to create this home studio. I know. This loft. Yep. Uh, and also, you know, we are often remiss at mentioning how you can follow us personally. Oh. You can follow me at that Larry Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, I'm just Instagram. I guess I do actually have a, a Twitter account, but I never use never it. Use smart, I know, smart. but uh, yeah, Christian underscore win i believe it is mm. right I, I always forget that you're stuff kind of like on my instagram <laughs> speed dial now so i don't right i don't know exactly what it is but i look forward to my lonely and i do have, yeah you can day. look at christianwin.com on my about my, my writing stuff oh yeah you know? you're right huh i do I, yeah me too i try to i did a little this morning nice nice all right folks we are going to take our leave now uh i hope you enjoyed that opener for the season there's more to come uh, until then, let's remember one thing. And what is that one thing? That one thing is to keep the story moving forward. <laughs>